HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey guys, welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere's Bushwick. We're starting a little late today because we have a lot of people in the studio. You're going to find out all about that in a second. I'm Kat Johnson. As always, I'm joined in studio with our executive director, Katie Mosman Wadler. Hey, everybody. And as always, David Tadashore is in the booth making us all sound nice. That's me. Hi. That's right. <laughs> so we have quite a crew in the studio today for happy hour. We are joined by our very own founder, Patrick Martins. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks for having me hey, again. Patrick. Couldn't do this without you, any of it. This whole show was your idea. So thank you for pushing us to do it. We're so happy to be here. We also are so lucky to have with us today Ralph Bumbaka. He's the senior vice president at TD Bank for all of Manhattan. Correct? Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> center of the universe. The center of the universe. Absolutely. Welcome, Ralph. Thank You're you. You're in Brooklyn, Ralph. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Born and raised in Brooklyn, so this is home for me. We've also got Greg Bishop, the commissioner of the New York City Department of Small Business Services. That would Welcome, be me. Greg. Thank you very much. And we're joined by Shana Lawson. She's the owner of Pop Cake Shop. Welcome, Shana. Thanks for having me. And last but not least, Steve Garibel, Vice President and Relationship Manager for Commercial Lending at TD Bank. Welcome. Thank you. And uh, we might have a secret surprise guest for you in a few minutes, and we'll keep you posted. Uh, as always, we like to keep you on your toes here at HRN Happy Hour. Just want to say a really warm welcome to everybody, and thanks for coming on the show today. So, Kat, what are we doing today? Well, Patrick's familiar with uh, how we run things here at Happy Hour. He uh, was here as we kind of, the show evolved into what it is today. Um, but I'm going to fill everybody in on what's going on. So first, we're going to get things started with some headlines. We're going to tell you about what's been going on around the network, and then move on to some fun, informative, and food-related events coming up in the near future. And finally, we move on to talking to all of you fabulous guests, and we're going to give you some questions about today's culinary scene and the intersection of policy and finance in the food world. And then, my favorite, we wrap it up with trivia. So, let's get started. It's time for headlines. On this week's episode of Eat Your Words, host Kathy Irway is joined by historian Lizzie Collingham, author of The Taste Empire, How Britain's Quest for Food Shaped the Modern World. Told through 20 meals over the course of 450 years, Collingham masterfully shows that by examining the history of Great Britain's global food system, we can fully understand our capitalist economy and its role in making our modern diets. On Eating Matters this week, Jenna Liute digs into the merits of eating a plant-based diet by taking a look at a very pro-vegan documentary, What the Health? 
and her guest was one of my favorite people, Dr. Marion Nessel. She was the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at NYU, recently retired. Still keep edging her, egging her on to come and do a show with us because she is the authority on food politics and policy. So tune in to find out if eating processed meats and eggs is truly comparable to smoking cigarettes and uh, whether it's the primary cause of chronic disease. On Meant to Be Eaten, um, they welcome both Fred Opie and Adedoyen Teriba to discuss soul food and the spread of African-American culture and food across the globe. We discover how historical events like the civil rights movement influenced food and the kinds of feelings that arise when you find a food from your homeland in an unfamiliar place. And finally, on Feast Your Ears this week, Harry Rosenblum interviews Robin Eckert's love letter of a book to the people and the food of Turkey. It's called Istanbul and Beyond, and it's absolutely gorgeous. The cookbook explores a place most Americans can only vaguely identify on a map, yet simultaneously exists at the intersection of both the beginnings of historical agriculture and modern international affairs. Be sure to listen to hear more about what started as a year about how what started as a year in China turned into a life's work eating, cooking, and writing about food. That sounds like an ideal life goal. To Absolutely. Me. So Wait, you are, guys already did some some hot news, right? That I mean, was you some guys hot news. no, but you guys covered some serious national issues going on yeah. better than any news organization I heard this well, week. Well, thank you, Patrick. We have been we've been keeping our eye on what's been going on in California, Northern California, with all of these wildfires and what is now continuing to be wildfire damage, as well as tons and tons of smoke that is really keeping a lot of uh, wineries closed right now. Um, I spoke on on Monday. I spoke to uh, Jeff Mosier of uh, Robert Mondavi Winery. He's the chef there, and he was telling me how they've been closed for over a week and how, as a big winery, they're they're going to be okay at the end of this. But it's these, it's these smaller wineries that are going to be so heavily affected during harvest season, tourism season, and how. He talks a little bit about how we can help those people out and um, and how we can kind of keep an eye on what's going on because it's an ongoing situation. Yeah, you can check out our continuing coverage of that story on our series HRN on Tour, which you can find on our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Um, we are going to continue to bring you updates on that story where not only more than 30 people have lost their lives, but thousands and thousands of buildings have burned and many, many hundreds and thousands of people have lost their livelihood. And so uh, this is something we really want to continue to keep watch on. Yeah. Um, so we're going to move on to a little bit of events news. Uh, today is the first day of New York City's 11th annual Food Film Festival. Until the 21st, you can head to Manhattan's AMC Theater on the on 42nd and 7th to see films such as The, F- the Food Porn Party, For the Love of Brunch, and James Beard, America's First Foodie. Gives you like a real wide range of entertainment there. Um, head to eventbrite.com and just start, search for Food Film Festival for tickets. Also, this weekend is the 8th Annual Seaport Food Festival. It's going to be this Saturday from 1130 to 4. You can taste brews, spirits, and delicious food from over 40 New York purveyors. And the proceeds are going to benefit arts and enrichment programs at two public elementary schools, PS363 Pexlip School and PS397 Spruce Street School. So go to www.tasteoftheseaport.org for tickets. And we ourselves have a very exciting event coming up next week that I cannot wait for. Um, it's basically centered around the question, uh, is terroir effect, does terroir affect cider the same way it affects uh, grapes and wine? So we're going to be tasting uh, apples and cider from around the country. It's um, They're all made from the same apple called the Newtown Pippin, which actually originated right here on the banks of the Newtown Creek. right between Brooklyn and Queens. Very cool. And now it's planted from California to Virginia. And it's called the, our event is called the old adventures of the Newtown Pippin. And it's taking place at 100 Bogart right down the street from us uh, where we are now. Um, Thursday, October 26th at 6 PM. And there are a few tickets left. So if you love cider and you love history and all of that good stuff, you should come. What's your big prediction? I think terroir will affect Absolutely, the taste of cider. Sure. I think so. So we have some. We actually have some cider experts joining us who are going to be doing studies about it and and proving or disproving if if terroir go, is, has affect cider. So. Also, there will be cheese. So please go to Eventbrite <laughs> and buy a ticket. They're really cheap, and uh, we you. would love to see you there. Few spots left. It's going to be incredible. Cider, cheese, history. What could go wrong? Um, <laughs> 
Also, we have a really, really special and exciting guest coming for a special recording tomorrow, which is Friday. Our studio is normally closed, but we are opening it for Alice Waters, who is my number one life hero. And I'm so excited that I'll be able to speak with her. And as we get ready for that, I just want to remind you, we talked about this last week, but the um, one of her organizations, Edible Schoolyard, is having a big, big, big benefit and you can get a one-of-a-kind experience to hang out with Alice and with Jake Gyllenhaal so really checking a lot of boxes there please look for their event on the Edible Schoolyard website and uh, stay tuned for my interview with Alice tomorrow I am not going to sleep tonight I cannot wait (laughs) (laughs) and last but not least Heritage Foods continues to celebrate Goat-tober this month. Patrick, tell us about Goat Tober. No goat left behind. If anyone has tried to ever milk a male goat, uh, they will know that it does not work. Um, that is why we launched Goat Tober. Because in order to make cheese, animals need to be producing milk. In order to produce milk, animals need to be producing babies. So you need a lot of babies. Basically, dairies are in the baby-making business. And anytime you have a male goat, you have no purpose for it. So a lot of these goats ended up having very cruel destinies. They grew, they were born on beautiful dairies. They came from these old historic breeds. They were sold to the commodity market or sometimes even killed at birth because they were just going to be a waste of my time and money for the farmer. So through my wife, Anne, who's a cheesemonger, she said, could you do something for these male goats? And so we called these dairies up and said, could you keep your male goats alive? Raise them on the summer grasses under the condition that we'll partner you with chefs in New York City to help buy these goats. And it worked. It's called Goatober. We call it uh, Goatober instead of October. We, our project is called No Kid Left Behind. <laughs> <laughs> and it's worked. And we have about 45 participating restaurants in New York City who bring in one goat a week for the four weeks of October. And it's uh, really helped bring attention to goat meat in this country. It's the most widely eaten protein in the world, but hardly eaten here in America at all. And so congratulations to those restaurants. Congratulations to those dairies for keeping those male goats on their farms. And check out our website. Go to those restaurants. Yeah, there's a huge list of restaurants. There's more than 40, so I'm not going to read them all, but just to give a sense of we've got Babo, we have the Breslin, we have Dirty French, we have Gramercy Tavern, Huertas, Mayalino, Marta, Momo Sushi Shack, Momofuku, Otto, Robert Mondavi Winery, Union Square Cafe, Untitled at the Whitney, and our dear friends Winsun, just to name a few. So these are places that you definitely want to eat anyway. Go there and eat some goat for Goattober. Thanks, guys. Eat more goat. All right. So I want to thank everyone again for being here today. I think that this group of happy hour guests, more than any other we've had before, reflects many faces of food that we sometimes don't recognize in our current society and culture. So to bring it back to somewhere fun, um, I want to ask you guys a fun first question. In four words or less, what is your earliest or most impressionable food memory? We're going to start with you, Ralph. I'm going to put you on the spot. So... Um, I give you a visual. I'm 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 kind of tall and I'm and I'm not that heavy. So, but when I was growing up, I was about. We're gonna give you a pass, but you've definitely gone over four words. Right. But this is the prelude oh, to your four words four or less. Words. You can tell us the backstory. I don't know if I can do anything in four I, I, words. I, I think I fail immediately. Okay, okay, you get a pass. I got it. <laughs> Go ahead. So that was uh, easy. Food was very vital to me growing up. Uh, because of the size that I was, I was kind of short but very wide. Uh, so uh, any experience that I had around it was uh, was important to me, and uh, and it was the center of just kind of what I was doing every day. It all revolved around the around what I was eating. Italian in Brooklyn. Right? Italian in Brooklyn. <laughs> Say no more, Patrick. I mean, my mom is from Brazil, so, you know, feijoada, rice and beans, steak with onions, you know, those are my first memories. Commissioner Craig? I would say uh, alligator meat. Wow. Oh, Wait, okay. say that again? Your, er, one of your earliest memories? Yeah. Alligator, alligator meat. Alligator meat. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I said beet, I was like, I've never heard of eating <laughs> no. beet before. Where, we, we, where we are you t- from? Well, I grew up in Brooklyn. That's okay. a whole other story. But, uh. but yeah, alligator meat. That was... Yeah, because I grew up in Southern Alabama, so I've I've been there. So yeah, <laughs> you right. gotta eat so it when know. it's like just cooked, though. I don't think I did. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not a good bad impression. No. <laughs> <laughs> Shana, how about you? 
Well, mine is obviously cake related, and that'd be <laughs> <laughs> so. It would be homemade birthday cakes because my mom always made our birthday cakes from scratch, and um, and she's listening now. So it, that's where this all started for me. How do you awesome. like that wedding cake in there right now? <laughs> yeah, it's a good looking cake, right? <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. Oh, she's not wearing headphones. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, first food related experience was Grandma Sunday gravy. Another Italian, but from New Jersey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you guys for that quick warm-up. We just want to make sure that you're all in the radio spirit. Um, I'd love to go around and do a little bit more of a detailed introduction. So we've talked a little bit. We've got two people here from TD Bank. We have the Commissioner of Small Business Services. We have Shana, um, and she's going to talk about her cake business. And just walking into the studio... At this exact moment, we have our surprise special guest, Chef Matt Abdu. Yay. Welcome, Matt. Hey, Matt. And it, it looks like he's carrying food. <laughs> <laughs> he comes with snacks. Yeah. Uh, so, Matt, as you get settled, I'll just give you a quick intro. Matt's the executive chef and owner of both Pig Beach and Pig Bleaker, and a regular contributor to the Today Show. So, a TV star joins our midst. And we love Very warm Port. welcome. It's the greatest thing on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I'm a man. I love this guy. <laughs> okay. Whoa. So, so, Ralph, where were we? Did, Ralph, <laughs> uh, what was your question for Ralph? So, Ralph, can you just tell us a little bit about your role and how TD Bank fits in with the food business scene in New York? Sure. Well, I, I've been in the banking business for many years. Uh, we deal with uh, small, mid-sized, and large companies. Uh, and around in the community, food is such an integral part of the success and the fabric of job creation and really making a community vibrant. So us being able to provide services around financial products and services is really important in really creating a fabric within the community for success. So we're tightly close to uh, the food industry. Can I ask a follow-up question to that? How is, uh, do you loan money to food companies? Has has that relationship changed over the decades? I mean, how has food with in relation to banking changed in the 20 years you've been in the business? If someone said, I want you to invest in a restaurant or loan to a restaurant 20 years ago, is that different than today? I mean... I, I wouldn't say it's uh, much different because really... Uh, at the core of it, you need to understand what someone's trying to do. And, and food is such a natural experience for people and how it's delivered and how it's uh, created, manufactured, cared for is, is something that most of us, any of us, and certainly a banker could kind of understand uh, along the way. And that's really, once you understand that and where we want to take it, we can then layer in whatever the financial solutions or the services that we can provide from a banking perspective. Okay. And uh, Commissioner Greg Bishop, tell us about uh, the New York City Office of Small Business Services, and again, how does that relate to food businesses in the city? So thanks for having me. And, and of course, uh, you're probably wondering, what is government doing here? And, and certainly... Uh, New York City is such a dynamic city. We have eight and a half million people, over 200,000 small businesses. But our restaurant scene is absolutely the best in the country. Um, there's no other city that you can actually actually go into and travel the whole world uh, in the five boroughs. Um, you know, and you, know, you already know this. You were talking about GOAT. You can just go to East Flatbush and go to any Caribbean restaurant and get a real good curry GOAT. I mean, that is the beauty about New York City. But because we have so many people, uh, we as a city need to protect our people. So buildings have their jobs to their job to do. The health department has their job to do. Uh, DCA, which is Consumer Affairs that protects consumers, they have their jobs to do. And what we do at Small Business Services is really make the process of being in compliance as a restaurant as easy as possible. Uh, so we actually have a restaurant boot camp for entrepreneurs who are thinking about starting a restaurant uh, to really go through sort of you know, what is it that you're trying to do uh, in, in terms of the restaurant? Who do you need to talk to? Uh, not only um, in terms of the different um, agencies, uh, but also the different lenders like TD Bank in terms of who would actually actually get you the capital that you need. Um, and certainly we expedite the permitting process. We expedite that whole entire process uh, to make it easier. And anyone that uses our services, which is at no cost, uh, we have seen a dramatic increase in terms of 
companies that restaurants that are using our service have opened uh, three months faster uh, than if they did not use our services. Right. So that's why we are here. We're excited and we encourage all the foodies out there who are thinking about starting a restaurant uh, to really come to us and, and use our services. And does it also increase our longevity in business? It absolutely does because, you know, when you are there, there are a number of entrepreneurs and especially foodies, they don't know what they don't know, right? I know how to make a really good meal, but I don't really know how to negotiate this lease with my landlord. Uh, so we have a number of uh, pro bono services, uh, including legal services, uh, including uh, expediting services uh, that will save you time, which saves you money. Uh, there are, unfortunately, uh, I've heard horror stories where individuals have opened up restaurants, didn't realize, for example, they're across the street from a school or a church, mm. so therefore they can't have actually hard liquor. Ugh. People don't know these things, yeah. right? You only see the location. So that's why we at Small Business Services, we are here to advocate for small businesses. We're here to educate the business owners. Um, and certainly we connect all the dots, not only from education uh, to financing and with our partner TD Bank, and also with uh, a workforce. Because we know it's, you know, when you're starting a restaurant, you need to get a workforce. So we do, we help you with re recruitment. We're, think of us as the, the complete one-stop solution to actually starting your business. Amazing. And Greg, as you said, that time factor from a finance, financing perspective is so critical because that three months, being able to accelerate Certainly. that really allows the working capital that you need to keep the business going yep. in the early stages. It's there for it and not getting burned uh, by trying to have to recoup that time right. that gets taken up by right. permitting and so forth. Right. So that's a great service. This is already so eye-opening for me. We do have two food entrepreneurs in the room, so I'd love to open it up to both of you. Shana, let's start with you and tell us a little bit about your business, and then we'll get back to some questions about how small businesses work with uh, Small Business Services of New York City and with TD Bank. So the name of my business is Pop Cake Shop. We're based uh, downtown Brooklyn in a new city, hall, uh, city Point development in DeKalb Market Hall. Oh, have you? <laughs> <laughs> well, next time you come, come visit us. <laughs> um, we've been open since June. This is my first brick and mortar. Um, but we've been I've been in a business of making cakes for a few years now. So um, I've definitely utilized small business services probably more than they want me to <laughs> in order to get my business started. Awesome. And Chef Matt, tell us about your businesses. You have two restaurants open right now, Yes, right? we do. Yes, ma'am. We have two restaurants. The first is Pig Beach Barbecue on 480 Union Street in Brooklyn. And the second is Pig Bleaker, which is on the corner of Bleaker Street and Thompson in the West Village. And it's very interesting to hear these gentlemen talk about small business services and bankings because as a chef, right, we love to cook food. We love to put smiles on people's faces. But we don't know the first thing about any of this other stuff. And I found myself personally using the New York uh, small business website for pretty much everything, and they have great checklists to let you know what you need permitting-wise, who you need to call for this, who you need to call for that, where you get the information for this or that, and it's exceptionally helpful to get all that stuff in one place to have it really help you build your business because without it, I would have no idea where to even begin. And I think that's the most part for most chefs. I mean, we are great at what we do for cooking food, putting smiles on people's faces, but we're not necessarily the greatest business people per se like we don't know what is entailed in starting up leases looking into like what are the things in the place that you're trying to look at it might have a great location but as you said is it by a school mm -hmm. is the plumbing up to date do the hoods work is the exhaust working is the electrical have the means to power all the stuff that the equipment is that you want to bring in and there's so many things that i learned basically on the fly from doing this with my partners that was incredibly eye-opening and without that sort of help you're like, you know, you're dead in the water. There's really nowhere you can advance or move from there. So it's exceptionally helpful to have that service. Every restaurateur, I know uh, the dreaded letter grade, right? You mm -hmm. know about the A, the B, the Cs. <laughs> and, and one of the things that we want to, you know, as an agency, we are here to advocate for you. Um, so just following up on what you just said, a lot of chefs don't know. For example, like in your bathroom, if it's a woman's bathroom, there needs to be a cover on the garbage can. And if it's men's, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many rules uh, that the city has that we want to make sure that you are actually aware of that. So we have uh, free complimentary uh, compliance advisors that will come out and help you uh, understand the most common violations that restaurants receive. So that way you're better prepared. Um, and that's this administration and this mayor has been very focused on being more proactive 
uh, instead of being uh, uh, penalizing businesses because we want to make sure that you survive and you actually thrive. Um, and the best way to do that is actually to inform you instead of finding you. Mm-hmm. Well, I, that is incredibly encouraging to hear because for the entirety of my time living in the city, you really, as a, as a restaurant owner, you kind of think it's sort of set up in the opposite sort of way. And I don't mean any disrespect by that, but like the dreaded health department is sort of, like we all operate in super cleanly, super clean environments all the time. Mm-hmm. But the rules do change, they do evolve and things happen. And there could be potential things that you didn't even know could be a violation because it may not even particularly pertain to food. It could be a type of light fixture that you right. have. Maybe it's not the right light, but that could be a violation because if it were to shatter or do whatever else. I mean, there's so many things that are in it, but I think it has been great being able to have these resources. Like when we opened up Pig Bleaker, we had we used the resource as the pre-walkthrough, the pre-opening inspection, which really helped us to be like, all right, all the plumbing, the water gaps are the right distance. The, maybe you need to put a chain here to separate the bar from like the guest. You need to put this... Uh, covered trash can in the bathroom and it was really really helpful and they even went as far as to even do the uh, the grease trap um epa pretest, which wasn't really <laughs> part of the new york city's uh department of health's jurisdiction they did it as a courtesy yeah. sort of pre-thing for us and it was really helpful to get the business up and going so that you knew what you were dealing with you didn't know there was gonna be any surprises you knew there wasn't gonna be any so now it's on you as a business owner as a chef keep it clean Keep the food hierarchy right. Keep, you know, all the things, the hand towels in the sinks, the soap by the sinks, hand sinks clean, like all the stuff that we know and operate as chefs and we know what to do and help get you through those other things that could be plumbing issues or things you might not know about that they direct you in the right way to make sure that you're operating successfully. Yeah. That sounds uh, like just, I, I just had no idea that this was such an extensive resource before. So I'm just really enjoying <laughs> learning about all these things. I never, I never thought about trash can covers at a restaurant. There's a lot of other things that you probably don't want to go to. But but to your point, that is one of the reasons why I'm here is Mm -hmm. to bring awareness to these services because, you know, we have partners like TD Bank. Whenever they're they're meeting individuals, they refer them to our services Mm -hmm. and we're building relationships not only with lenders, uh, but with everyone. Um, so, but but if there are any any questions or anyone is interested in, in learning more, they can go to nyc.gov slash SBS. Um, and then they'll find all the information there. And what about from a banking perspective? I asked to Ralph and Stephen, are there mistakes, uh, like bonehead moves that restaurants do or food people do that you're like, oh, if you only knew wiseness in terms of investing or percentage of monies used for this or that, mistakes you've seen made, uh, advice you would give people? I think the the biggest and most important factor is the setup, the initial thought process in the business plan. And have you looked at resources like NYC, SBS in formulating that plan? That's where those bonehead mistakes come in because you miss out on uh, information or opportunities to get the business off the ground because you miss out on critical uh, factors, small and large. So it's really in the foundation and the setup of it and utilizing the resources and so forth where we see entrepreneurs making that mistake early. It's early on in the business plan process. So on the business plan, oh, go ahead, Steve. Well, I would say the other piece of it is, you know, business owners don't take time to pick who they're doing their banking with and really having a relationship with them and understanding that they're part of their team, just like their accountant is, just like their, their attorney is, really making sure the person you're doing your banking with is there to be part of your team and help you grow your business throughout the time. Mm-hmm. Well, so, Shana, I want to turn to you to talk a little bit about your business model because you're doing something that I've never seen before. I think um, this is a concept. I'm going to show everybody a picture from your Instagram because it's just incredibly beautiful. And as I show it, will you describe your product and, and where the concept came from? Okay. So our primary product at Pop Cake Shop are Push Pop Cakes. Um, if you think about the Flintstone <laughs> ice creams from when we were little. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Or I think of a Charlotte Russe cake. Uh, what we do is we create Push Pop Cakes. Now, um, push pop cakes are not new. However, the way we do it is we layer each cake in front of you to your liking. So you pick from a menu of cake, frostings and toppings, unlimited of each, and we just build it to your specification. Like we all have really unique taste buds, and some of us don't like to be held in a box of the slice, you know. The... So you can get like a layer of vanilla with like chocolate filling, a layer of chocolate with like vanilla filling, yes. sprinkles, a layer, <laughs> and throw some gummy so bears in there, some salt caramel. Take, yes, uh, like the sort of 
like Cold Stone Pinkberry approach to building your ice cream thing, but with cake in an incredibly unique way. That's uh, yes. amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I think out. you just described the Pig Beach uh, cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A collaboration. I can totally see a collaboration right. in the very near Absolutely. future. Absolutely. <laughs> We're definitely open to collaborating. Uh, it's a very unique product, and it's just, I'm a very picky foodie. I like everything. So I'm the person that's going to come to Pig Beach, and I'm going to want to pick one thing off of three items off of your menu. I never want the exact meal. So it was just perfect for me to be able to have my, my customers pick and choose what they want in a cake so we could just kind of satisfy and all taste something new every time you go there. You every time you go. Because it's like, we have like 20 toppings, so there's no way that you can <sighs> kind of... That'd be interesting know. to do the math on how many conceivable, uh, you know, mix and matches well, they are. Must then be we in the need, millions. Then we need uh, a math person yeah. doing some probability. <laughs> that wouldn't be me, though. <laughs> so, Shana... You're still, I, are you still technically a startup? You've been open since June? Yep, we're open since yep. June. I still feel like a baby, so I definitely <laughs> still feel like a startup. What's been your most recent uh, learning or challenge that you've faced in um, having your retail space? I think it might be navigating um, the requirements, the New York City requirements. So we talked about, the commissioner talked about um, Department of Health, and that's the big scary elephant in the room until you get um, your first inspection and thank god we got an A but it was just right and we, thank you but we used um, small business services in order to do the pre-inspection and you know like I wanted like really pretty mint green uh, curtains in front of my counter and then find out bought the curtains put it up and during the pre-inspection they're like yeah no you can't have that <laughs> that's a violation so just trying to navigate those things that to me would be Nothing is, you know, it's not a problem, but for food handling, that's not acceptable. So right. just those subtle nuances, trying to get, uh, make sure that we're in compliance at all times. And one of the things that the mayor did um, was uh, launch an initiative called Small Business First, which has like 30 things that we're going to do to make it easier for for businesses. But one of them was, I mean, there inspectors come out and there is this this sort of dreaded sort of. Uh, it, you know, when I see inspector, I'm, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. And it shouldn't be that. I mean, think about it. It's eight and a half million people. We can eat anywhere and not have to worry about going to the hospital. That's their job. Um, so certainly we worked with the inspectors uh, to make sure that there's customer service, make sure that there's consistency, uh, to make sure that when they're going to a business, they understand the business perspective. And that's one of the many initiatives of Small Business First to make it uh, a much pleasant, a much more pleasant experience than businesses have been used to in the past. And to make us feel more prepared, because I felt very prepared for it. And yeah, we're going to need to just go to a very quick commercial break, but we're all anxious to continue the conversation. So hang tight. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be back in just a minute or two. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollux scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org pets. Welcome back to HR and Happy Hour. I'm Kat Johnson here with my co-host Katie Mosen Wadler. We have a full house today, and we're talking all about small business services and what it's like to be a um, small business owner in New York City, and what challenges come along with that, and also like what amazing things you get to do, like make cake 
push pops. That's awesome. <laughs> so, Patrick, you had a question right as we went into the break. I want to bring you back and give you the first dibs here. Yeah, well, we asked the hosts, uh, you know, to send in questions uh, if they had. And, uh, you know, we kind of accumulated the best of them. So one of them was, uh, you know, why is my banker, you know, important to me? I know the usual things, you know, of course, that's where you keep your money and checking account and savings and this and that. But are there two or three things that the regular person wouldn't know? that their banker could help them with, especially if they're going to start up a business in food? Well, I think the biggest thing that your banker is is a resource. You know, we're there to connect you to the right people, whether it's connecting you to an organization like the Small Business Services or, you know, helping connect you to other people that could be your clients because we have a whole book of clients that we work with. And, you know, I think that's the one piece that if you – the best thing to use your banker for is really as a – as a connector, and you know that's what we do. We're people connectors in the end. That's great, great advice. And certainly, if you're connecting with someone, if if you're not having that conversation around your business, as opposed to just your banking needs, trying to really understand what you're trying to deliver, what you're trying to accomplish, that's really where the conversation needs to begin, and that's where uh, someone in the banking field can add value. Well. During the break, Matt just kind of pulled out some uh, food, I see. I'm like magic like that. I know. I and totally I'm like, <laughs> So I what is this dish? Yeah, Where tell is it us. from? What is this dish? Well, this dish is something very simple. It's some slow-cooked smoked pork shoulder with our smoked jalapeno pineapple purple coleslaw. Wow. And we just brought some buns for you guys to like make your own little pulled pork slider sandwich Ooh. and sort yes. of cool. nage away. So... <laughs> Um, Pig Beach Barbecue in Brooklyn is primarily a Q-style barbecue venue. For the last two years, uh, three years ago, we opened up as a pop-up. We got really great success from that, really great feedback. And our landlords asked us to come back as a full-time space, to which we did last year, and only operated as a seasonal restaurant from Memorial Day, really, to Halloween. Wow. Then, during this past winter, we built began building out... 7,000 additional square feet of indoor space, so we are now a year-round restaurant um, with 10,000 square feet of outdoor dining, like beer garden kind of style, with our 7,000 square feet of indoor uh, dining bar and whatnot. So our menu ranges from pulled pork to hot dogs, hamburgers, house-made sausages that are stuffed with cherry peppers and provolone, to uh, beer can chicken and that sort of things. Baked beans, braised greens, mac and cheese, all that really fun stuff for traditional style barbecue. And during the winter, while we were building out uh, Pig Beach's new inside space, we uh, opened up Pig Bleaker on the corner of Bleaker Street and Thompson at 155 Bleaker. And that is what we're calling a refined smoke-centric comfort food restaurant. So we're taking the theme of smoke from barbecue, but we're taking my culinary background uh, of working in fine dining at Del Posto for the last nine years and taking that smoke theme and putting it into raviolis and pastas and really fun composed plates of dishes that are very recognizable, but they're like, whoa, there's a little smoke behind this. What is that? That's amazing. Uh, but still being very sort of culinarily driven with all that uh, accolades behind it. It's delicious. Hold on, I forgot to put the coleslaw on. Oh, man. oh no, I have my mouth full. I'm going to come back for Well, coleslaw. I'm going to ask you. I believe I was watching... College game day because I'm yep. a big college football fan. Yep. Is it true that is it the Ohio State bar? We, we are so we are an Ohio State uh, <laughs> supporting uh, bar restaurant. Um, that being said, we still do welcome all walks of life. We have many. We have about eight 60 inch plus screen TVs where all the different games are playing. But when the Buckeyes are on, we have the Buckeyes being the primary game that's on our giant projector screen and the big TVs on the inside bar. Uh, two of my business partners, one of them grew up in Columbus. His father was a professor at Ohio State. And one of my other business partners went to Ohio State University. So my my partners are all big Buckeye fans. I, I'm from a small town in upstate New York. I went to a SUNY school in upstate New York. I never experienced the big football culture, so I, I didn't really know what it was. But I went to my first Buckeye game last season and it kind of blew my mind at how big that stadium was and the energy and everything that surrounds it so it made me realize more about what it actually entails being into that giant football college circuit <laughs> i'm pretty jealous because i went to auburn and our our college bar is like in midtown and i'm like 
why wouldn't we have it at this cool barbecue place like Ohio State does? Yeah, like, that doesn't that's make right. any sense. That's right, Ohio State Alumni Association. Hear out those good words. <laughs> uh, but no, we, uh, we, you know, there, there is an Ohio State bar that's somewhere in Midtown. I don't know exactly the, the address or what the name of it is, but they, uh, we have been working with them to try to make one in Brooklyn and have that be our spot because we certainly love supporting supporting them and we love having as many you know people that want to come and hang out our, our venue is really unique in brooklyn you'll see at any given day on a saturday or sunday how from noon to four it's a lot of young families and parents and strollers kids the outdoor space that lives in the opportunity to run around and have fun and play while the parents can have a drink and have some great food and relax and hang out without the stress of having a stroller blocking away or anything like that and then from five to eight you get the foodies coming that are super into like the barbecue and they're really excited about the smoke and then from like 9 to 1 a.m. when we close, it becomes this really cool hip hangout for 20, 30-somethings that are looking for a great venue to hang out, drink, watch the games, eat great food, and just have a great relaxing place. So you know, you Ralph grew up a few blocks from there, and uh, things were not that way oh, 20 it, years well, ago. 20 years. years ago. You know what? I would love to see what it was like 20 years ago, <laughs> because in the last three years since we've been there, the entire area has gentrified and started to get cleaned up so much in three years. I could only imagine what it looked like 20 years ago. Well, next week we'll take a walk through and I'll reminisce with you. <laughs> and, and I'm paying a Buckeye tuition right now, just for the record. I just want to let everybody know that right now. Boy, OH. <laughs> so, Matt, you hinted at some plans for expansion, and you are sitting right next to a couple of experts here. We've got TD Bank in the room, we have small business services in the room. What questions do you have, or what are some uh, some kind of uh, suggestions that you'd be looking for while we've got this, this crew is, assembled this for you. Give an ask, right? It's a great time to do it. Um, well, I, th I think, you know, for from my perspective, my point of view, um, expanding can be one of the greatest things on the planet, and it can also be one of the scariest things on the planet. Because when you expand, you have to leave one of your restaurants or one of your businesses to go and start the next one, and you have to put a lot of faith in your team and in your procedures that you put in place to hope that you've had these great services utilized, knowing that the restaurants are fully functioning and firing on all cylinders before you're able to do the next project. Um, but the, the questions that I might have, see, I have the luxury of being in a partnership where my primary focus is I get to focus on the food. I get to focus on training the, t the back of house team, developing the recipes, developing the menu, making the food taste great, putting smiles on people's faces in that way. And I have my partners who are much well-versed, have degrees in business, have all these things that make them much more suited to be the direct operators with all these small business services to make those ends meet. But that being said, questions that always arise is, is I think it can be very intimidating when you have to go to a bank and ask for a loan, right? And I think a lot of people... Um, don't necessarily know what that might entail. They don't necessarily know if it's like, do I need collateral? Do I need this? Do I need that? And how is the best way to go about it? But I think one of the greatest things are is that these guys are here and they're ready to help answer those questions for you when you walk in as just a business owner saying, this is what I want to do. You have the New York uh, Small Business website to really help give you a punch list of have this, this, and this before you do this, this, and this. You know, ways how you have to get your you know certificate to collect sales tax, how you have to get these certain... Uh, certificates of op occupancy, how you have to get all these certain, you know, uh, food permits and, and handlers and all this other stuff. Um, but I, I, you know, I, as far as expanding, it's, it's exciting and terrifying all at the same time. And I don't, I don't know what my, a specific question might be uh, as far as me to ask for advice from you guys is what you think should be things that we should be doing in, in, lieu of expanding. Well, maybe I'll spin that just for a second and ask uh, Ralph, what uh, what advice do you have for a small business owner who's coming into TD Bank to ask for a loan who's maybe feeling like they don't know what they're getting into or they're feeling intimidated? What uh, What is that experience like? So uh, I, I think it's important to focus on the fact that when you walk into a, a financial into a financial institution, a bank, to know that the person on the other side really wants to hear the story, really wants to kind of get to know you. And if, you, if you're not experiencing that, if you don't feel that, walk away and, and try another institution. Because really, at the end of the day, it's really making that personal connection. We have uh, 140 retail outlets, so our branches throughout the metropolitan area. We have uh, somewhere north of uh, 50 commercial bankers running around dealing with small businesses and, and mid-sized businesses. So 
just know that when you come to tell your story, uh, that that person is there to be receptive to what you what your concerns are, what your uh, issues are, what your what you keeps you up at night, what what your concerns are, and that they're there to really kind of, like I said before, understand your story, where you want to go, and then how we can offer advice and services and reach out to our partners uh, in many different ways to help you succeed in what you need to do. So I th- I think you know people feel intimidated that someone's going to judge at the end of the day, and that's that's not about what we are. And I will tell you, uh, the only part that I really judge is the is the flavor here. And <laughs> I just had a mouthful of that coleslaw, really and it was Amazing. crazy yes. good. Amazing. So, yeah. Right. So uh, that's the first test uh, uh, that so we would hold you to. So you're saying bring snacks. And you know yeah. what? Yeah, show, you know, showcase it. I, you know, I, I thought your example of the food pops was, was terrific. That shows your passion and shows the, the level of care that you that you put into your product. The, you can tell the freshness in the in the coleslaw and the smoke in the in the pork. And to, you know that resonates with us. We know that's going to be successful. We'll just layer in all that other uh, complicated stuff in there mm-hmm. with you, and we'll lock arms with you and hopefully get you through that in a very positive way. So what if it tasted terrible? You're like, get the hell out of here. Well, you know, you know what? That, that's a good point. And uh, for me as a banker. Yeah, I'm a little concerned because if I don't like it, I don't, I don't know how successful your business model is going to be, to be quite honest with That's you, right? Yeah. right? So I mean, It's a great point, right? I mean, as you're working on any, any business, whether it's, cake, whether it's cake, push pops, or barbecue, or pizza, for that matter, I mean, you need to, hopefully you have a good business plan, you have a good product, you have a good idea in mind as to what it is that you were trying to do, who you're trying to reach, who your demographic is, what your neighborhood is like, who are the people that are in the area. And hopefully you've done at least a little bit of research before you've gone to the bank to say, hey, look, I have this pro forma, this is my numbers, this is my check average, this is the amount of seats that I want to have, this is the potential sales I could do in a week, in a day, in a month, in a year, and this is how much money I could generate through our potential profit margin of maybe 5%, 7%, or whatever it might be. So you have an idea when you're going to the bank of if how much you are taking for a loan, how much you can afford to pay every month to, to cover it. So you, you, he, you nailed it in terms of, I was just about to say research. Um, and, and certainly um, New York City was one of the best cities to operate in because we're so transparent. A lot of our data is actually public. Uh, so if you wanted to find out about, let's see, this neighborhood here, you can actually go online um, and you can get it through our website. But Business Atlas has all the data about that neighborhood in terms of you know the foot traffic, in terms of demographics, in terms of income, et cetera, et cetera. So when you're selecting a location, especially if you're expanding, you know, do the research. And the one advice I would have, and I'm going back to that lease. Uh, that lease will either make or break you as a company. Um, and you have to be very careful before you sign a lease without paying attention to the details because there are certain things, the property, you know, a lot of uh, restaurants have leases where it's a triple net lease. And for those who don't know what that means is that when the property tax goes up, it gets passed on to your rent. And if you don't do the numbers right, three years from now, you know, your rent could be surpassing your, your income. 000, exactly. You know, so you so we want to make sure that we protect you. So we have pro bono legal services to help you review the lease, to help make sure that you're protected because there are some leases. I mean, the standard lease is the landlord puts a lot of responsibility on the tenant. And sometimes it's more responsibilities than you should actually bear. You yeah. know, if something happens on the sidewalk in front of you, if there's something that breaks in the restaurant, you want to make sure that you breaks, exactly the sub pump in the exactly. basement goes down. Who, all things that you never who, thought would right. be a responsibility who is responsible for that, yeah. and that's all written in the lease. Because all those things are very costly. When your sub pump goes down in the <laughs> exactly. basement, and your basement starts filling with <laughs> stuff Sounds you don't like want it to, and right. you're like, I need an emergency plumber here now, and spend five thousand dollars on a pump to get this thing working now. And notice yeah. we're not talking about the back. We're not talking about food. We're not talking about like no, we're not the talking actual, about any of that stuff. This it's is like building like, stuff, right? Yeah. Stuff so, that chefs shouldn't ever have to deal with. So Shana did. You Hold bring on, cake pops. And, and, it, oh, go and ahead, bro. And that's spot on, Commissioner. When when I look at financial statement, I go right to the rent line, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I look at exactly. it from a percentage basis. So from an analytical perspective, that is so critical. And then you got into the finer points of it, and with the real 
world ramifications yep. are of that. Yep. And and you hit uh, the nail on the head about you know yeah calling up that electrician to come in now and repair that in a distressed situation and what that's going to mean and the impact of that and what a percentage of your expenses is now going to be incurred in handling that and that, yep. that that's a critical factor. And so you read the lease. I mean, is that something your people do? They're like, hey, could you check this out, Stephen? And uh, well, that's what we do. That's what you do. Yeah, that's we right have there. pro bono legal services and we have an attorney that will sit down with you and we'll read the lease. We'll even make recommendations in terms of negotiate and help you negotiate with that landlord. Mm -hmm. So that's why I always tell entrepreneurs before you sign a lease, come to us. Mm -hmm. Because not only are we going to help you with the lease, we'll we'll help you with everything else in terms of connecting the dots with all the other services that we have to offer, uh, including financing. Um, so mm -hmm. certainly if I were an entrepreneur in New York City, the first thing I would do thinking about starting a, rest, a, a restaurant is actually come to small business services and let's have a conversation. So question for Shana, as you were starting your cake pop business, I mean, I think a lot of people get ideas about starting food, um, food businesses and becoming food entrepreneurs based on a, a product and an idea. And I'm curious to ask you, as you've you know, just gotten started, what percent of your time was spent on developing the product and what percent on all of these other things of logistics, of figuring out rent, of making the business plan, just to give a sense of like how much is... is that of that time is spent on the original concept so the original concept the the brainchild i guess kind of comes pretty fast and it's a very organic sort of evolution um from from brainchild to fruition however it's all the logistical things that take up all of your time and as you said like you're a chef you're not thinking about that stuff you just want to think about good food and you find yourself having to be, especially for myself being startup and being brand new, having to be my own bookkeeper and do my own accounting and trying, attempting to read a lease, you know, and doing all these things that I didn't uh, necessarily know how to do or maybe still don't even know how to do it. That ends up taking up a lot more of your time. It's a lot more logistical work than it is the creative work behind it. Um, I was going to say, if yeah, you want to know what you need to think about if starting a restaurant, I would encourage you to take the re our restaurant boot camp because it, it's soup to nuts. It's from with your business plan, how to talk to the bankers, all the way to how to hire workers, how to be in compliance with everything. Restaurant boot camp, it's amazing. And it's not because I'm the commissioner of the agency. <laughs> that, is, it but something it is. That, is it something that like you should kind of come into the boot camp and like have so, a, a business plan or some sort of idea, you or should, can you just like come and just be like, I have no idea what I'm going to do? Both. Okay. I mean, literally, it's the curriculum is designed for if you you just have an idea. I want to start a restaurant, but I don't really know where to start. It can help you. Versus, and in in addition to if you have a solid idea, then it just reinforces some of the points that you know you have. Even I can say when I wanted to go into cakes full time, um, I didn't even know about SBS, but I kind of just on Google stumbled upon their site. And then all of a sudden there's all these resources and I'm just like calling and just trying to make contact in order to figure out what am I supposed to do? All I know is that I want to sell cake full time. I don't have anywhere to go. I didn't have a location, you know, and I didn't know what I needed to do except bake in my kitchen so <laughs> I use I use these guys I've been using these guys since like 2010 just to try to figure out how to navigate um, open and going into food in New York City I have one last question we're coming to the end of our interview segment um, I have a question for Ralph because part of our mission here at Heritage Radio Network is based around sustainability in the food system. And I think that there's a, really been a developing consciousness around how sustainability is not only about you know a feel-good thing for a food business, but actually makes a lot of financial sense uh, to be energy efficient, to invest in uh, agriculture systems that are improving the soil quality. So there's a lot of uh, smart business moves that are also, you know, considered good for the planet. And I want to know for you as you're making decisions about financing businesses, has there been a change in the kind of the weight of a sustainability initiative for you? Definitely. I think that's an excellent question. I think that's a Something that we'd, I'd love to do a uh, whole piece on with you, with, uh, with experts um, from the city, from the private sector, and how we approach that. I, I think it's incumbent upon all of us in the community to really look at sustainability, and, and certainly from a corporate responsibility perspective, we approach that in our decision-making uh, in every way we can. Um, 
we look at our clients and see how we can support them in energy savings, uh, in the ability to deliver uh, a product that is humane, that is value-added to the community. That is paramount to what we do, because if we're going to grow and, and improve uh, here in the metropolitan area, that is a critical point for us. And uh, what we do uh, at the bank around the environment um, and, and all the factors around sustainability and how we then tailor our financing around that is so critical uh, to what ultimately is going to be the success of our clients at the end of the day. So uh, let's really get into it on the next show. We can, we can spend <laughs> right. an hour on that. So I love wrapping up Happy Hour. I feel like we've gotten a lot done in this past hour. I have a to-do list here. Um, so first is, uh, Ralph, as we just talked about, we need to have a follow-up episode and talk about sustainability in food businesses and how that relates to finance and policy. We also have an upcoming uh, pig and cake pop collaboration that needs done to happen. And so done and <laughs> And for our listeners, uh, especially anybody who's tossing around the idea of a food business, which I'm going to guess is quite a few of you, um, please check out the SBS Business Boot Camp from New York City's uh, Small Business Services. And uh, that's going to bring us to the end of our interview segment, but we are not done because we saved the best for last. Trivia! Trivia! Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> All right. Does this Steve, trivia have anything right to, to do no with cheating, what we talked about? This actually does have something to do with what we talked about. I've been involved with some trivia that is so... Off, off the rails? Yeah. Patrick, I did not know there was going to be a, a quiz or a test yeah. today. <laughs> I think I got duped. CD gets 2% of your business. <laughs> so, sometimes I write questions that go very off the rails, but... But th this this week um, we're, we're going with some more traditional uh, restaurant questions. So how do we? And this do it? first one is a gimme for any of our most loyal listeners. That is true. It's a repeat. And and this is a shout out sort of style of trivia. Yeah. So feel free. So get right on it. All right. First question: Where is the world's largest restaurant located? Las Vegas. New York City. No. And no. <laughs> is there a buzzer? Who just did yeah, the buzzer? There, there is a buzzer. <laughs> Dubai? Brooklyn. No, you're closer. Who said Dubai? I said Dubai. You're getting warmer. Warmer. Oh. Literally. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Uh, How okay. large is this I'll give you a, I'll, Okay, I'll give you some hints. Oh, okay. it, it's, it seats 6,014 people, wow. and it's called the, I don't know if I'm going to say this uh, right. Chuck E. Cheese. The Bawa, Bawa Bay. Restaurant. Yes. It translates. Are you ready? This is good. If it you gives haven't it away. got it by now, this is gonna kind of give it to you. It translates to the Damascus Gate restaurant. Oh. So any guesses Egypt. where it might be located? Egypt. Egypt. Damascus. Ralph, you oh. are one hundred percent correct. Duh. That's how I got through. That's how I got through school. By the Largest restaurant is in fact located kind of in Damascus, Syria. Oh, Syria. I believe. Oh. I believe that when I look this up, it has like multiple concepts within it. Got it's it. Like I mean, of, it's like a size of a mall. Like, right. Yeah. Exactly. So is wow. Pig Bleaker second? Check back in a year or two. Your your third restaurant is going to be called Pig Gate Restaurant. Hey, wait, wait, if you're <laughs> about the guys if it can be that big and we can do it, I'm in. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Uh, we're moving stateside. Uh, do you know where the U United States' oldest restaurant is located? Probably somewhere first, like, I don't know, Massachusetts? Right? Yes. It's like one of the 13 colonies, right? Yeah. yeah. Massachusetts, Massachusetts is right. Massachusetts is right. Oh, wow. Boston? Yes. Oh. <laughs> oldest restaurant It's not Cheers, is it? No. What's the, what's the name? What's the restaurant? Any guesses? Oh, wait a minute. You is it? Are? You know it. You uh, know it. That famous Boston big bar. Market. You no. sit by the bar and you eat a special kind of regional yeah. dish. Che I said, cheers. I said cheers. No. <laughs> Boston Market. No. You don't go to the bar necessarily for the drinks, but a special kind of dish served in a bowl. The Oyster Bar. Yeah. Oh. That's right. Union, I knew that. Union Oyster I lived in Boston for five years. It's right in the, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Why? Cool. I should know that. <laughs> you knew 10% of that. I knew that. <laughs> I got Massachusetts out of the gate, right? Come on. All right, third question. 
Um, and we can play this on um, like a price prices right rules. We, we have numbers to do prices right rules. One dollar. All right. Going over. <laughs> one dollar. How much do you think the average American spends eating out? In one year. In one year. A year. I would say if the average income is probably somewhere around forty-five. I mean, ten thousand. Working through it. Do you think they spend ten thousand? Yes. Okay, so a Matt, year. No. Matt says ten thousand. What else we got? I say fifty. Fifty thousand. <laughs> me, Katie, I'm gonna go Not spend fifty thousand on. I think he's talking. Yeah. I might. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say people spend probably ten percent of their income on eating out. That, that's okay. so, so okay. maybe five thousand. Then what's the average? In- I'm gonna say that uh, neither of you have hit it by prices right rules yet. So I'll, I'll say seventy five hundred. Seventy five hundred. Any other guesses? Uh, One dollar. <laughs> Six thousand three hundred. Okay. <laughs> Six thousand three hundred and seventy-six dollars. You guys are really high. So over. <laughs> it's, what? It's Twenty-five hundred. That's really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. No way. And this is in twenty sixteen. Americans spend an average of twenty-five hundred dollars eating out. And fun fact. Oh wait, wait. A year? A year. Fun fact, not everybody lives in New York. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We spend more than that. We have very skewed senses of reality, I think. Um, We're also skewed on New York City prices. (laughs) You're probably all Sonic in Arkansas. Exactly. (laughs) Did you ever see Arrested Development where the mom is like, what could a banana cost in the supermarket? Ten, twelve (laughs) dollars? That's all of us right now. (laughs) All right. Um, Okay. What's the next question? Question Matt? number four. Uh, again, price is right rules. How many people are currently employed by the restaurant industry? Wow. Again, this is U.S. This in is U.S. Oh, crap. Okay. Well, give us New York. We're yeah, we, New York. we don't have I that don't number. Have data. No, I, no we, the, the food and beverage industry, I think it's actually 500,000, if I remember correctly. Just in New York. Just, Just in, in New, New York, York City. That That is one of the areas that's we are focused on. That's why we launched Starge NYC, because... The food and beverage industry is actually a behemoth in New York City. Yeah. It's more than technology. It's wow. more than technology. So, so if it's so, five hundred thousand in New York, maybe three million for the whole country. No way, because if it's five hundred thousand in New York, it's one sixth it, of the entire country. Yes, New York. It is population-wise okay. this area. Anyone right? else? Maybe twelve million. Ten. Anyone else? I like the twelve. All right, so. Ding, ding, we're going to say Shana and Ralph are correct. Shana, you get credit for this one. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> Ralph, props to you for getting on uh, board with that correct answer. I know it's the, uh, the answer is 14.7. Oh, that was we're close. Really close. <laughs> All right. And the last one is kind of a gimme. Which? Wait, I actually, I disagree. Has anyone oh. ever passed uh, your trivia questions? I like, gotten more right than wrong? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you. On the first day. You yeah, are you freakishly were, you good were, at trivia. You probably, you, you probably wrote the questions. You knew who invented the spoon. Patrick? Yeah. No, fork. Um, fork. Yeah. Catherine de Medici. There you go. Um, okay. Okay. Well, th- well, this is what the answer we have, but we'll see what you guys think. What meat is the most widely consumed globally? Goat. No. Pork. Pork. The other white meat. Chicken. Pork is right. Oh. There you go. <laughs> but we, we wanted to go with Shayna. We were like, it's got to be goat. I had to ask the that. I thought it was a based on what we learned today. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I've been saying for Goat-tober. I totally thought it was goat, but I just Googled it. Patrick, well, do you know what it is? Change it. He's change I think that. it's the more places eat goat. But per pound, yeah. it's not the most yeah. amount of meat moved. Mm. Got it. That's what I, I need to qualify. Because we that. eat so much bacon That's right. here. That's yeah. amazing. Because yeah. <laughs> Jews and Muslims, you know, technically have a prohibition against pork, so right. it shows that those who eat it eat a lot of it. <laughs> How many are Jews you, are in you this surprised? room just ate a pulled pork? Sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, well, guys, that's our show. I want to say a huge thank you to everybody who joined us today. So we're going to go around the room. Ralph Bumbaka from TD Bank. Thank you, Chef Matt Abdu. Patrick Martin's our founder. Thank you so much. We have SBS Commissioner Greg Bishop. Thank you. We have Shana from Pop Cake Shop. Thanks for having me. And we have Steve Garibel. 
My co-host is Kat Johnson. Thanks for having me, Katie. Our stalwart engineer is David Tattashore. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler. And thanks to our producer this week, Liz Mystic. We'll see you all in seven days. Bye. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Unless we're